Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, and I can call myself a Highland Games athlete again. So, yeah, good. Here doing it again. Nice. Uh, is Dr. Mike Nelson. I am associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, which opens again in June. And I'm back from Idaho, which we'll talk about helping with the Special Forces experience. And we are down here in South Padre, Texas, doing a little kiteboarding. Got three sessions in yesterday until my harness and safety line exploded last night. And so luckily nothing happened to me per se. Uh, buddies of mine chased my uh, kite down with the lines and board, and I got a free ride to shore a little bit, so it was only an hour and ten minute experience instead of what could have been about a four hour experience and, and back with no equipment. <laughs> oh, Fun. So now you got to find replacements for that? Or you uh, have some? I have a replacement for that, so luckily that was the only thing I lost. That's so, good. yeah, when they, when they both, uh, explode and fail at the same time your kite goes flying uh downwind unhinged yeah <laughs> like no yeah, there goes my shit so, yep. <laughs> yeah this is coast Rail. i'm in the great city of salt lake and doing masters weightlifting nationals this weekend the girls are Wandering around trying to find a scale, which is, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is every time. Uh, every time, dude. Masters is so goofy. It's hard to find a scale. Yeah, like, check So usually, most, wait, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> well, so if you go to the venue, the main venue has a, has the official scale. Right. But then, and like, so people are trying to sneak in there. It's like, there's me, there's, competition pretty much throughout the whole day so it's like mm-hmm. yeah. but normally the check scale is supposed to be there but it's at a separate hotel oh jesus that's just <laughs> so it's like and then the other part about it is sometimes in these hotels it's kind of tough because not every employee is up to speed on it yeah and so we went yesterday and got lucky but for the so the scales like on the seventh floor <laughs> in this in this like conference room but sometimes it's like well, i don't know i haven't heard of that and you're like, okay, so is there no check still here? What's going on? And information is all over the place. So, uh, yeah, you got another secret knock. Yeah, I know. So, the other part about masters is you got to pay. Like masters cost more than any of the other ones because yeah. you have to. So USAW has. They're only like loosely associated with USAW, and then there's an extra fee for the actual masters organization, which I personally disagree with. I think. Yeah. Just plug it all in the USAW and then put it on like, like they had the AO series at the Arnold. You have all the good equipment there, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, the, the training hall, the training hall is embarrassing. Like, <laughs> the, the wood is, the, the wood is breaking up. It's like the first day. Oh, oh, so there's like wood shillings all over, oh, all Jesus. over this ground. It's like directly across from the meet platform so you can actually see the training hall from the competition stage gotcha but anyway sounds interesting yeah it's sounds it's like a well ran event it's always like but at least you're in the beautiful Utah you know I mean oh yeah I'd love it you can't really drink or do anything yeah. 
Unless you have eight wives, then it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about, essentially, you know, Mike's going to talk about the experience he just had a bit, what he can, and then uh, that ties into basically it, brief periods of extreme stressors. And are they beneficial? Are they not? You know, so what did you go to? I, I saw you post something on it, some stuff about it on uh, the social medias. But Yeah, so I'm involved with the Special Forces experience. Um, I believe Jeff DePate was on an older episode of Iron Radio, so you can probably pull that up uh, quite a few years ago now, I think. Um, so he's kind of the main guy who started it with a bunch of other of us. I think I think Jeff still holds the record for the longest uh, confirmed sniper kill shot, which was in Iraq. I believe the bullet flight time was almost 10 seconds. Yeah, that's Something crazy. just, I'm, you know, not at a range, you know, not set up under pristine conditions, you know, just yeah. crazy. It's a Canadian guy, right? Yeah, Canadian. Yeah, yeah. basically. Basically, Canadian Special Forces. Yep. I mean, they have different names and stuff for it and everything. But, um, yeah, so I was there helping out with with that, and it was their process. Um, so the concept is most people have heard of uh, PTSD or PTS or whatever word you want to use associated with it. Um, but there's also the flip side of that, which is PTG or post-traumatic growth. So for me, it was always been interesting, like, even working with clients and some people in the stuff who, you know, are working with their physician and their, you know, docs on this. You'll hear of, you know, two people in almost the same, you know, battle conditions or experience the same stressor, but, you know, one of them has, you know, significantly more effects. The other one doesn't. I'm like, well, how is that possible? Granted, everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different. And, if you look into some of the literature, you can have a traumatic or a high stress period of time, which we'll talk about. And then from that, some people do develop PTSD, which is very real and definitely needs to be addressed for sure. And we're getting more resources that way, which is awesome. Um, but some people will have a period of post-traumatic growth where they'll have an exponential increase. So I was interested in, you know, kind of what what are some of the things you can help with that? Um, that's part of the reason why I created the physiologic flexibility course. So can you precondition yourself with exposure to, you know, temperature changes, pH changes, you know, breathing, et cetera. So that if you do have exposure to a large stressor, can we try to bias the system a little bit more towards growth? Again, that right now is still eh, hypothetical kind of based mm-hmm. on what we know the literature. So their thought here is that if, can we, uh, take an experience, which uh, currently to date is only men, and expose them to a huge amount of stress in various capacities. This could be movement, mental, um, all aspects of uh, performance over a long period of time, and we can give them coursework ahead of time, and obviously you need to physically train for it. Can we bias them towards post-traumatic uh, growth at that point? Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, Fighting fire with fire, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> potentially, yeah. Um, which, it's a super interesting concept, right? Because, I, you know, usually you hear special forces experience programs, and I looked at some of the other ones, and 
you know, hey, if guys want to go, you know, do that and test themselves, I'm, you know, all for it. I'm not against it. But most of them were just super hard stuff for a few days, right? There was yeah. no intention or thought process, as far as I can tell, put into it beyond that. It's like, yeah, we threw it in the ocean, we kicked sand in your ass crack and didn't feed you for a while, and hey, you lived, cool. You know, and if people get benefit out of that, then that's great. But, you know, this is designed with the intention of not making everybody quit or just making it stupid hard, even though it was extremely hard, was can we have it facilitate more growth on the back end, um, which is a very different process and I think it's actually much more difficult right so just like training you know it's you know anyone any poor trainer can make you sweat and make stuff hard right but can you have progress over time um, so we had about 12 people that signed up we had 11 that showed up and then it goes for eight days we were in basically the mountains of Idaho uh, so the people who sign up are outside the whole time they have their their rucksack that's provided to them with, you know, tent and everything else. And it's, yeah, it is kind of in some aspects, looks like an old school military boot camp, you know, lots of physical exercise with instructors, you know, yelling at you the, <laughs> the mm -hmm. whole time. Because uh, it's the eight day process is designed to kind of strip away everything that any motivation you would have from the external world mm -hmm. so that it has to be a hundred percent internal, right? And we're trying to strip away a lot of your, you know, common defenses you would have just due to pure accumulated fatigue, both physical and mental. So when you get there, like you get a little penny that just has a number on it, right? So you're called your number the entire time, not even your name. Gotcha. Um, and so helping out with it, like we don't necessarily know, the background per se of people initially. Um, so I was there just, you know, helping with some logistics and, you know, whatever they needed, which from my experience was <clears throat> relatively easy compared to the people doing it. But it was in a new location and we had used vans to move people around to different spots. Um, so just a lot of, lot of logistics of, you know, you end up with the hurry up and wait of, okay, we're going to do yeah. this. And then, Oh wow, this last thing took us longer than we thought, so now we have to just rearrange the schedule a little bit. Um, so I slept outside only one night, which was not as much as other people. And it just happened to be stupid cold there. Like it got down <laughs> to 18 degrees Fahrenheit at night. Oh yeah, that's chilly. The wind chill was probably around 10 at least. And the tent they had, which was more of a, a summer tent, <laughs> mm. and we didn't realize there's a, a door you can put on it, so the screen door is not open all night. Oh. <laughs> We found that after the third night, but, um, but yeah, overall it was very cool experience. Uh, definitely glad to help. Uh, did some RPR resets on people at the end, uh, to make sure they were still good. And then they'll go through coursework at the end to kind of help them integrate their experience and make sense of it. Uh, pretty wide variety of people that showed up. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. It was definitely. Something that people are interested in. You can look up special forces experience, all the stuff they have there. Again, if you sign up, I don't make any money. I don't do any affiliate work for them. Uh, but it's, yeah, excruciatingly difficult. And it's designed in general. So only like about 20% of people pass. And they've had times where more than that have passed. And they've had times where 
nobody passed. And that just, you know, so, there's a standard, and if you make it, yeah, you definitely earn oh, it. That's what I was going to ask. So there's some kind of set standard, like pass, fail, like reach this. Yeah, so the trick is trying to make it similar enough so that the the standard is held. And they had uh, one guy who was helping who actually uh, completed it in the first round they did. So it's a serial four. Um, then obviously other people have been there each time. So it's good to have the experience of people from day one mm-hmm. uh, because I'll say some stuff I've been involved with other organizations once they realized, oh, yeah, we can get money and we just tell people this is hard and we pass more people, then they're happy and we get more people. It's like yeah. Within three iterations of that, you've completely eroded the whole, you know, thing that you set up. Yeah. Yeah. Where this is very much like, yeah, there's definitely a standard. And if you make it, great. It's definitely well earned. If you didn't, then we're fine not passing anyone. If you didn't make it, you didn't make it, you know, which I think is the only fair way. People have to fail. Like, oh, yeah. Like there has to be a failure rate. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, and that that sweet spot's hard to find out. If you you start choosing the money first, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, it becomes <laughs> like here's your here's your you know sticker or whatever. Yeah, do you get a participation ribbon at the very least? <laughs> no. <And laughs> Damn it! What's interesting is that like it's not a real public thing. I don't know. They might release. I think they maybe released the one guy who passed, but other than that, like you don't really get many. Even once you're done and you complete it, like you. Don't really get a lot of recognition. Right? <laughs> You're you know? Yeah, it's like it. It's interesting to see how difficult it is. And the second somebody quits or you finish and pass, then it completely flips like instantly to okay, how can we help you? How can we get you, you know, better? And mm-hmm. you know, it's like wait a minute, like. Two minutes ago, you were the guy just yelling at me in my face, and now you're like my best friend. It's like, yeah, but you're done. Like you're out of it, right? So now it's, you know, how do we help you, you know, in a different way? So, my question is: so if you're talk, we're talking long-term growth over an extreme experience. Do they gauge this still now? Like with these people that are done after eight days, like maybe that growth doesn't happen for a month. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, is there a gauge for that or? Yeah. So there's a whole, uh, follow up, uh, integration and everything they go through. And then one of the things I'm helping them with too is some more physiologic markers before and after, um, a series of, you know, surveys. And, you know, the eventual goal would be to hopefully publish some stuff, I think, in that area. You know, it would be, who knows if it would be a qualitative or quantitative type study. Ideally, I'd like to have uh, both. I'm not a qualitative researcher, so I'd have to pull someone in on that. Um, but, yeah, that's the hard part is that, and even it was just fascinating, like, staying in the house a couple of nights, like, talking to the people who had, you know, quit and did some RPR and stuff on them and just getting their their take on it. And I would say most of them were like, wow, that was, you know, super impactful. Like, they came up with some ways they can incorporate it and, you know, yeah, one or two were kind of like, yeah, you know, you, you kind of wonder in your head, you're like, eh, I wonder how that person will do in a couple months. You know, they yeah. might reflect back on it and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that was more difficult than I thought. Here's what I learned. Or, I don't know, it's like one of those things that's like, no matter what you do, you're not going to reach everyone. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I think that's that's the hardest part. You know, I think for all the people involved is, 
you know, we're doing everything we can to try to make it the best experience. But by nature, you don't control who signs up. Yeah. And yeah, there's a, a long process. It's very expensive. You've got to get there. There's a lot of unknowns, which are done on purpose. Um, but if everyone goes through all those hoops, then, you know, hey, you know, the you can't control who thinks they're ready or not. And one of my, my favorite phrases I like, and I don't know where I got this from, is that the hardest thing you've ever done is the hardest thing you've ever done. <laughs> yeah. And that's completely different for, you know, one person versus the next. You know, you yeah. may have one person that makes it a few hours and they leave and they're like, wow, that was like super impactful. You're like, oh, interesting. And you've got other people who make it many days and just huge variety. And then I'm also reminded that in, in life in general is pretty easy. And that, I mean, my life in general is very easy, you know, which is why I like doing cold water exposure and training and other things to try to make it a little bit more difficult, both both mentally and uh, physically, but yeah, not, not everybody does that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think quite a bit about sometimes the, just the value of, and not to, these experiences are not even close to each other. So if any of my CrossFit yeah, yeah. listen to this, do not listen to this and think, Oh, CrossFit is pretty much special forces training. But <laughs> the, the idea of like intermittent, like very hard workouts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm like very grueling and like and how how much people like that just because of the after right like they complete it in the after like was the true value like physically probably nothing negligible Mm -hmm. right but like truly understanding the true value of like just the mental aspects and like a lot of those people through crossfit who even went into like weightlifting Mm-hmm. Like those type of experience help them with weightlifting too, like it, it or powerlifting or whatever they're going to yes. next, you know. And it's like you don't have to coach as much, like people who've been in CrossFit for a while, or something difficult, I should say, not necessarily mm-hmm. just CrossFit, but something very difficult, you know, voluntarily or whatever. And like how much it helps them approach another thing, like from the toughness standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just for a civilian, it's almost like you have people who haven't done anything really tough and they get into something like CrossFit and it's very tough. And then like the people who thrive in it, it's like they feel very proud of themselves every single time they do whatever workout, right? Now, the dark side of that is like sometimes they just chase that all the time. Yes. They're like, no, I got to do the harder workout all the time. Yeah, well, that's but what I was going to say with you bringing up CrossFit. Like that, yeah, that intermittent hard that's a you know bringing up crossfit it's a perfect example of this and it's kind of the perfect example of this gone wrong <laughs> because they built a brand totally around that uh like this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done and then they champion that you know they champion the puking and yeah long term yeah you know not for 2 weeks not for eight days, but for every day. And that's why, you know, uh, that's a big part of the reason why in CrossFit we see a lot of these people, they make drastic progress early and then they stagnate because they're constantly under this massive stressor that just eventually you get to that point where you're, okay, I've gained this much amount of strength and you're never getting a break. 
you know, you're always throttling, you're redlining every workout. And so, and I think that's where we see the, the things go bad. You know, you start seeing injuries and non, non-progress, maybe regression and things like that. And that's the tough part is, uh, you know, how we relate this back to the training world and it, it's short stints of such things can make you better. And like you said, a lot of it is maybe it's just making you mentally better um, for progress later in a more relaxed or controlled environment. So, I mean, it's, I mean the, the psychological, like in terms of the qualitative versus quantitative, like what you get out of it, the, like science and psychology stuff is, I mean, that, that stuff is, you want to talk about stuff that's hard to, kind of connect with i mean exercise science is one thing but usually there's like physiological stuff that's easy to connect with mm-hmm. like you start getting into like psychological stuff in terms of just like actual trying to find data and like you know either whether you're doing scans for like brain growth and all that stuff i mean that's that's a tough field of mm-hmm. science particularly because it's a lot of questionnaires and stuff too and so you're dealing with people's perceptions and all that, but I mean, how interesting would that like just the idea, the concept of you know, uh, PTSD versus D. I mean, that I would say like crazy, but what a groundbreaking type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Can you can you intermittently use extreme stressors for you know po- positive experiences versus negative ones? Yeah, I think it's a concept that just most people are not even aware of. And, mm-hmm. you know, up until maybe four years ago, I I wasn't aware of it. I had heard something about it, but I was like, I don't know. And I'm not a psychologist, but sometimes the, the popular uh, positive psychology stuff seems a little bit weird to me. But I know there's a subset of the field that actually has very positive data associated with it. Um, but like most things, I hear something and I'm like, I don't know if I really trust that. But then when you look into it, you're like, oh, you know, there's some pretty good data there. I'd say it's still definitely in the preliminary stages. But even having people be aware that that is a possibility, I wonder how much that may even actually potentially change their outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're changing the reticular activating system of the brain. <clears throat> and if the only thing they're ever heard of their whole life is, yeah, if you have a huge amount of stress, you're going to potentially get PTSD. It's like, oh, are you already pre-biasing people just by that to a potential downside that may not necessarily be needed? Mm-hmm. And it's figuring out, like, I'd be interested in knowing and talking more, like, how did they pick eight days? You know, yeah, so my ten days was, be too much? You know, how do you find that fine line? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know for sure. My guess is that it also has to do with logistics. You know, if you start getting super long, then no one's probably going to make it through. Mm-hmm. If it's too short, you just don't have enough room to have enough fatigue and start stripping away all these kind of defenses from somebody. You're kind of looking for the sweet spot of, okay, if you make it this far then we can start to do more, let's say, mental work 
later in once you've kind of accumulated this amount of fatigue. And one of the guys there, Rick, um, uh, awesome dude, Rick Alexander, uh, he used to be a medic, a Navy SEAL medic. He was a BUDS instructor for like, you know, two and a half years. And he's done crazy stuff. Like I think he ran 240 or 270 miles with like, you know, a weighted vest to some like battle armor on for like an ultra marathon and yeah. just crazy stuff. Um, but he was saying, and we kind of saw this in some of the people that after just a huge amount of fatigue, at some point you start getting a little bit better with it. You know, like day three, four, you, you it's almost like you get a little bit used to it. You're still, mm-hmm. I mean, fatigued, but a lot of, the high amounts of it is such a change from baseline as the first couple of days too. So when you talk to people who do ultra marathons and things like that, they, they kind of mention that too. Like the, cause people assume that fatigue is going to be completely linear and mm-hmm. it's not, or at least the perception of it isn't in the short term. Um, so then you can allow someone to maybe get a little bit better with some physical tasks and then do other things too. Um, and part of this was to expose people and try to find, you know, whatever their potential weakness would be, right? Whether that's um, even just on the communication type side, uh, interaction with other people to, you know, heights and, you know, anything else that people would generally have some some phobias to, small spaces. Um, yeah. So I can't say what the events are. Yeah. But it's definitely looking at multiple angles of how do you provide that amount of stress in a thought out area. And yeah, in the past we've had, they've had a couple people who have had rhabdo who had to, had to leave early and yeah. Um, all sorts of other things when you're mm-hmm. adding that much exercise to people. Well, and then, you know, one has to think, essentially at some point they want at least a small percentage of people to bend and not break. Exactly. You extend too many days and you're just Every- having a, you have a 100% break model. Right. <laughs> you know? so. yeah. And it's like, oh, well, what did you really do <laughs> yeah. to help, right? Because no matter what, everybody's going to have a breaking point. Um, and that's like, oh, yeah. I know numerous people that have done, been through buds or been through various special forces things. Yeah. And, you know, I know numerous people who have failed and the resounding theme from them all is no matter how strong they are in this and that. And it's like you said, it was after a certain amount of days, you just realize it's 100% metal. Yes. It's just keep going. It's the mm-hmm. mental tough side that gets people through it. It's like, doesn't matter how big and strong you are at, at a certain point, you've got, you know, you're freezing, you're sitting in a mud puddle, you know, okay, you just got to sit there for 10 hours or whatever it is. And yeah. like, at that point, it's 100% <laughs> just be strong mentally. And uh like Jarrell was alluding to with the CrossFit things, and a lot that can feed greatly later on into more simple physical tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to the whole thing that we've talked about before with, like if you're going to, let's say you're going for a PR on something, if you can come into that mentally confident, you've got a real good chance of making it. Whereas if you're on that weaker mind side of things and you're doubting it, like I've seen a, a thousand people over the years 
that are physically capable of doing something, but they aren't mentally. Oh, for sure. They don't, their, their mind is not wrapped around their body's ability yet. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, that's where tests like these, and I think that's the big, but come and bring this back into the training field. That's where short stints of this type of thing, like a squat program, or, a, you know, I have a squat program, I have people doing things like that, and really the biggest part of that is making them mentally strong and tough. Like, see, you can do it. <laughs> yes. It's the um, fact that it's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's just getting through this hard thing, and that bleeds into the rest of their life and the rest of their training. And hell, that's, let's be honest, that's how it's that part of training that bleeds into the rest of your life more than the physical side of it. The the Like Dave Tate has talked about it a lot and things like that, how you know the gym can bleed into the rest of your life, and the lessons learned under the bar can give you strength in the rest of your life aside from the physical aspect of it. You know, it's just... The enduring part of that. Okay, I'm showing up. I don't feel it today, but I gotta fucking, I gotta go in there, you know, and get this done. And, you know, that can bleed into the rest of your life. So. Yeah, which is why I like using the roar for a lot of clients because yes, it's a physically demanding thing, but it's really, uh, Tim Vegan said this to me. It's just mostly mental. Yeah. Right? Because if you're trying to hit a certain pace, and you have to stare where you're stare at where you're at all the time. You can't really just take a couple strokes off, right? And the shorter the event, the even less, yeah. right? If you're doing a 5K and you're trying to finish in say under 20 minutes, it's literally 20 minutes of you having to pay attention like 100% of the time if you're going to improve at some point. Like yeah, at first yeah, you'll make some easy progress just because you haven't done it and efficiency and everything else, but. At some point, you're going to have to pay attention 100%, and every part of your body is going to be like, no, just do the next one a little easier. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and I think that's a lot of what you get from – that is the thing that you can get from more endurance-based things than you can from strength. Yeah, just because of the time um, element. Yeah, and that's like like Matt Vincent. He did that running thing. So Matt comes from he's been on the show numerous times, and he comes from a like a a strength sports background, where the events lasted, you know, two and a half seconds, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and you know he got he wrecked himself after years and years of being a world champion and shit. And so what he did was looked for a different way after total knee replacement and all that. Looked okay, I need a new way to challenge myself. And so he took up endurance sports. Because it was something he had never done and so far out of his wheelhouse. And that's what he talks about a lot in there is he learned how to that long fight. You know, it's different than the the short fight. You know, the short fight is, you know, having confidence to do that thing in three and a half seconds. Whereas that, like the endurance stuff is just at a certain point, you know, hour two or whatever, it's literally just, just don't fucking stop. Just don't fucking stop. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You know, and um, it leans more heavily on that side of the things, um, and that can bleed into to all that. It just, it just helps in all aspects of life. Now, if you take that too far, you know, then you're well dead essentially. <laughs> but, you know, if we brought it to the, you know, if we bring it to the extreme, you know, everyone's gonna break at a certain point. 
But, uh, you know, on something like this, then, do they teach people then, like, what's the time frame between something like this? Like, we know, like, look at the NFL. Like, if if we use the CrossFit model, then all the teams would just basically play a full contact, full speed, full speed game four times a week to get better. Yeah. We know that would be stupid. <laughs> you know? But how often is something like this good? You know what I'm saying? I also would, I also would question like the preparation for it. Like part of it is like not being prepared. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like not, like not seeing it coming, not being prepared and then having to deal with it anyway. Like not training for it and just, you know, being in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the process, like <clears throat> my bias is. I think you can be more physically prepared is obviously going to be better, right? The more preparation you can do to me, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know some people have, you know, gone through and said they're going to come back again, which, you know, each to their own. Um, I talked to the one guy who made it through and I was like, Hey, would you ever do this again? He's like, not in a million years. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when he, started it he's like i'm gonna finish this he's like they're gonna take me out in a body bag otherwise yeah you know and his you know feet were just got destroyed from all the marching and everything else and you know but he made it and in his case i won't say his name but he was a former nhl hockey player so very high level athlete Mm -hmm. um and i don't in talking to him i guess is that more of that, like you guys were saying, is just the the mental aspect of that, right? You're used to having to perform when it counts, training when you don't want to, putting up with, you know, whatever system you're in and different coaches and, you know, all that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so for this, I would view it as a oh, high wow. enough amount of distress to try to jar you out from the position that you're in and hopefully to, you know, facilitate post-traumatic growth. I know they're potentially working on other programs, too, using, like, ayahuasca and potentially some plant medicines, too, which I've done with them down in Costa Rica. So there's definitely other venues and different ways to facilitate post-traumatic growth, but most of them involve doing things that are quite hard. But I agree with your point that you have to be careful with the stress that's involved because you want enough stress to make an impact, but you don't want to break a whole bunch of people either. And yeah. And the hard part. And the one-off thing makes sense in a position in an event like this. Yes. Um, because if not, it'd be like, like soldiers have to do buds to become a Navy SEAL. Yes. But it's not like once you're a Navy SEAL, okay, we do buds every three months. You know, right. they don't fucking ever do it again. No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And people look at things like that, and I'm going to train like a Navy SEAL, so they do this extremely dumb shit all the time. Yeah. And uh, it's not a good thing. So. No. And, and then the, the selection process, like, you'll talk to people who do it, and they've spent, I mean, millions and millions of dollars to try to figure out, like, is there a better method we can do? Because it's expensive. It's time intensive. A lot of people don't pass. Yeah. And so far to date, they haven't come up with anything. Yeah. Right. It's like we, 
We're not really sure why this works, but we know that if you pass this series of events, you know, our dropout or attrition rate post, uh, pretty low. So we yeah. know it works, but, you yeah. know, trying to figure out why is why who knows. Yeah. And that, I don't know. I mean, I'm always trying to relate this back to the training field because this is yeah, essentially what our podcast is about and what we do for a living. Um, and that comes back to like we were talking about before the show. You see a lot of people. There are a lot of well-designed programs out there that do things like this that are short-term, very intense, um, and they work. But then you have a whole stream of people that if a little bit's good, more's better, and they'll bastardize things. And that's like we talked about with Caldita stuff um, mm-hmm. right before the show. Like he, he'll have areas of, you know, extreme eccentric work with 125% or whatever, but it's for a very short period of time. And then, you know, me and a colleague last night were talking about it. Um, like then you have people doing that. Well, we're going to stretch that out to 10 weeks. Yeah. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's just like anything. It's like a little bit of testosterone is good. Five grams is probably not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's there's a there's a drawback at, at all times for this. So it's finding that sweet spot to where, again, Ben, don't break. Like we don't want to break you. you know, we want some people to make it through it. And the the broken part we're looking for, like I'm sure the special forces experience thing isn't literally looking to ruin someone. No, they want to the breaking to be a growth break. Not a oh he's fucking in a stre- on a stretcher yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah that's the tough part and then the uh, to fight those people that take this overboard and it's not within the organization like I'm sure there's somebody that that will leave this and like oh we could do that and do it even more you know yeah. and somebody's going to do an offshoot that's going to be horrible because yeah. it always happens oh yeah the, the other negative side of the coin is. The, the coaching and training that's that's I would just describe it as like always perfect like mm-hmm. has to always be within this percentage yes. range you should never feel anything you know you should oh discomfort you feel discomfort alright we gotta stop and do mm-hmm. you know an hour of foam rolling and PT stuff like <laughs> like you know what I mean there's there's conditions for both yes and you know Obviously, the duration, like trying to find that sweet spot. I mean, I think I would just say probably all of us are searching for that at all times. In terms oh yeah. Of like your mental growth, your physical stress. How far can it push before we have to pull back some? And then each time it's different, right? Like so, after you are conditioned for this, like what's the next growth point look like? Yes. You know what I mean? Um, the, the athlete thing is interesting actually, uh, with this because being inside of a sport that I would say is probably as grueling as it could be, right? Like NHL hockey is probably, it's as physical as football, right? Like NFL mm-hmm. football, the collisions are probably can get a little bit higher mm-hmm. considering you're on ice gliding around. Yeah. Yep. But the idea of like being in a sport where you, you know how much, you know, when you're in a sport and you have to go through a like whole season's worth of practice, how often you just do physical stuff you don't want to do? Yeah. Like you just wake up and even, you might even hate it, but you're not like consciously in the moment hating it. You're just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So that that precondition could be, and I've just noticed that just training people who've done sports before, any kind of sports, high school, call whatever. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like they just have better training process in general because it's almost just like that. They're like, yeah, I know this is supposed to suck, whatever. And, but I'm, you know, they just, they don't connect Put their head that with like, do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it doesn't feel good, but I still go. Yeah. And like how intensely you can get to that point, you know, because at the highest level, that's, the NHL is what, that's like an NBA season with high collisions. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 80 plus, you know, however many games, plus the playoffs and all that. So. Well, and that's, with, with training, I'd say a lot of that, we've talked about this a lot before, it's, a lot of this needs to be learned early on. Like, one of the benefits about the dumb shit we do early in our training careers is just that. It's just finding your limits. Mm-hmm. And doing it early in training, like, if I was trying to find my limits now as an athlete, the problem is, is I'm strong enough to break myself. <laughs> you know? Like, literally, like, I've heard it told to me numerous times. It's not bragging or anything, but it's like, you're mentally stronger than you are physically. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I've literally broke myself numerous times. Um, so it's, it's hard to do that. It's more unsafe to do that with somebody who is already physically well past the mediocre range because they have that ability to, okay, now that we're trying to find your limits, okay, well, I'm finding my limits with 800 pounds. Yeah. Whereas I find somebody's limits with 225 early on. And that's a big one. It's, you know, a lot of that weird craziness, at least what I try to do, I try and do that early on with people to make them mentally stronger. That way, once they're getting crazy strong, they already know their limits. Like, I can tell the day I got to go in and squat and I got to do a heavy, a hard single with, with, uh, against bands. I won't be shutting down at actual failure point. I'll be shutting down at a nine. Or something, but I have the vocabulary in my head. I know that from training 20 years ago. If that makes sense, (laughs) you know, and that's the hard part is like, we need to get people to know their breaking point so we can get on the edge of it and not to it later on in life. Like, I don't want to, and that's hell in all sports, the football, like, you don't want to, you don't want your $500 million quarterback redlining all the time yeah well you want him to know that boundary to where because if not his career is going to be two years long and then you wasted half a billion dollars um but you see that in the nfl with <clears throat> new quarterbacks who kind of show up who <clears throat> do a lot of scrambling and running yeah. and at first i was like oh well that's a good thing to have but then you see them do it more often and then you then you see older quarterbacks do it on occasion and you're mm-hmm. like I get it because the athlete is just thinking, I want to do whatever it is to win. They're not thinking anything past that. But I would have to imagine if you're a coach seeing your, you know, top, you know, most paid player, like taking off to run full speed into someone twice the size. Yeah. It's got to just make you piss yourself. <laughs> exactly. You're able, I mean, a good, a, a good analogy for that is, is like John Elway. Yes. When he won the Super Bowl. Like, dude could scramble, but he reserved it. But when it was on the line and, like, I want to win this fucking trophy in this ring, 
that's the time to break that out and jump headfirst into 14 guys for that touchdown. Right. Yeah. You know, the risk was worth it at that point. But, yeah, like you said, younger guys will do that, like, on game two of the season, and it's meaningless, really. Right. <laughs> like, it's worth, at the, for that sport, that risk of injury is worth it to get the Lombardi Trophy. It's not worth it to beat the Lions in week two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, it's something to learn. I mean, you got it. You can't redline all the time. You have to reserve those red lines for very specific occasions. If not, you're going to blow up. Like, like Ed Cohn talks about, he, he hypothesizes that everybody has so many true max effort attempts in them over a lifespan. So save those for the platform. You know, save those for when it counts. You don't need a red line all the time in the gym. And it's probably less than benefit, the opposite of beneficial. You know, early on you need to test for that, but then, okay, now I know where that red line situation is. And that's the problem. The, the problem is, is that nobody knows where their red line is. You don't know your red line until you get there. Mm-hmm. So we, at some point in your life, we need to get there. <laughs> um, so we have a vocabulary with our body to know. But, and that's where events like these, basically what I'm getting at, some kind of event like this, I mean, essentially, that's what it, the benefit for me looks like. It's like, okay, I did that once. Now I don't need to do it, do it again, but I know my limits. You know, I just learned my limits. And if that was day four of this event, okay, well, I know where my limits are at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and it's not right or wrong. No. It's just yours. That's yours. You know, now own it. Now if that needs to get better, okay, I have work to do. Or like the guy who won it, I okay, I'm never fucking doing that again. But I can grow from that because I know I have that ability. You know, I know that I can push it that far if I have to type of thing. Yeah, and I think that expands other realms, too. Like, I know just from having trained that when I was finishing my Ph.D., which ended up taking seven years and was by far <laughs> the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, more just from a gnatal fortitude at the end mm-hmm. than it was anything else, was it was like, okay, I just need to go one more day or do this next thing, like trying to be very short sighted about it. And then at, you know, some point four years in, I just kind of did the, you know, the Cortez thing where it's like, okay, I'm just going to burn all the ships. And mm-hmm. if I don't make it through this program, I talked to my wife about, you know, enrolling somewhere else and flying home on the weekends, leaving our house here, you know, cause I had reached the point where I felt like if I didn't, do it, it was something that I would regret for mm-hmm. no other reason other than it was just something that I personally wanted to do. Yeah. It wasn't for a job. It wasn't for to impress anyone else because nobody really gives a crap anyway. Yep. Um, and then at that point, it's like, okay, the only way to go is forward. Right. right. And then, you know, I had blood work done. My testosterone was like 180. I wasn't sleeping. And my whole point was like, if I, as long as I finish without permanently doing any damage, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it took me about three years to fix myself once I was done. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a walking trashman fire. Yeah. But I did it, you know, and I don't necessarily regret it. And I think there's probably other things I could have done better, like pick a different advisor. But whatever, you know, once you're in it, you, you kind of have to decide at some point, okay, here's my absolute limit. Here's the cost. I'm not willing to pay 
Yeah. But until that point, I'm going to just keep going forward. Yeah. Well, that's a good point you reach. I mean, and that's, that's one that I preach to everybody. And it's the one that's used, most usually missed is coming to that agreement with yourself of the cost versus benefit. Yes. And most people never do that. They only see the end game. Like they look at that PhD and they think that's cool. And so you have this huge drive to start. But then you get in it and you realize, fuck, I never really looked at what this is going to take. And uh they never came to terms with it within their own mind. Like, And that's the same thing as like, how many times have we had somebody come contact any of us and say, I want to be the next Olympian or I want to be yeah. the next world's yeah. strongest man. And then you as a coach are like, okay, you realize what that takes because you're going to need to do this, 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 this. You're going to have to not see your family on blah, 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 blah. You know, you're going to give up all this shit. Are you ready for that? <laughs> and I'm like, really? I got to do that? Well, yeah, that's part of the game, bro. Um, Actually, and that's the I, part most I, people miss. I've had a few people go. The last kid I had, it was the kid who came in and said, and like, with the utmost confidence, like he's, I mean, he maybe weighed 125 pounds, maybe, maybe. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to break Eddie Hall's deadlift record. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, 500 kilos? Is that all right? I mean, <laughs> I was like, you're a lot of food and a lot of drugs away from that right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, he did, he did a workout and I never saw him again. That usually happens. Yeah, exactly. That, that happens quite often. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I started working with a few more mixed martial artists and it was just local. It was probably six years ago now. And I quickly stopped doing it because I realized the, the younger kids who were so enthusiastic about doing it, like didn't even make it through like one session. Yeah. You know, and then I, so then I got wise at the place that I was talking to. The guy was sending me some people. He's awesome, dude. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this this kid who, who talked to me? And he looked at me. And so I then started asking him, like, has he paid his membership here to do a skills practice? And, like, 90% of the time, he's like, no, he owes us, like, three months. I'm like, yeah. okay, not going to talk to him. Yeah. Right? It's like, if, if you can't even figure out a way, then the guy way undercharged. He's only charged him, like, 50 bucks a month or something yeah. stupid, ridiculously cheap. It's like, one, you're not going to afford to pay me. Two, you can't even afford to pay for your skills practice and nonetheless show up for that. So what, mm-hmm. what do you think that I'm going to do for strength and conditioning that you're even going to be compliant at? Yeah. But it was normally, not always, but it was normally the people who were like extremely vocal. You know, I'm going to be the next, you know, UFC champion. It's like, bro, you didn't even make it to two sessions <laughs> at the local gym in a row. You know? <laughs> yeah. That happens at jujitsu all the time. Like, yeah. oh, I'm sure. I, I can't, I can't tell you how many people in the white belt range who are going to be the next, you know, Gordon Ryan, who mm. they don't even make it to like the first stripe or something. <laughs> but, and yeah. I mean, this this experience for me, is, as far as jujitsu goes, just like hard but kind of playful <laughs> for me. It's not like a competitive outlet sort of thing. But the people who think like, oh, this is, oh, this is the thing. Yeah, I listened to Joe Rogan a few times, and he said jujitsu is magical. And it's like, yeah, he does, but it's magical because it's painful and it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah. hard and difficult. And like, you see the light just leave their eyes when yeah. they learn the, like what the true scope of jujitsu is, right? Like, yeah. like when when will I get my blue belt? They're like, well, 
probably two, two and a half years, maybe. And you're like, yeah. what? That, that much? No way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, they just disappear. Well, yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me, like how many things people could probably do if it's, um, time put in over years to decades, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously I do a lot of grip stuff, so I'm biased to that direction. You know, I think most people could do pretty decent in it with the right instructions, so they're doing the right things. Um, but even like, you know, talking to my buddy Adam Glass, he's like, yeah, it's, you know, decades of work. Yeah, and some people are freaks, and they start out at a much higher level for sure. Like, you're always going to have those people. But even if you're, you know, like where I started, like below average, you can make progress, but it's doing intelligent things day in, day out, you know, for months, years, decades to do things that then look very difficult to most people. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I think a lot of things are more doable than we realize if we're just given good instruction and a long enough time frame. Mm -hmm. And the, the time frame is usually where most people lack. Right. You tell someone it's going to be like 15 years to pick up an inch dumbbell, and they're like, I'm yep. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Or even, I mean, and that goes into all athletic stuff, but relating to what you talked about, let's, like the Denny Stones. Yeah. It's a very popular thing right now, but if you look over the history of them, and I, we were doing it the other day because one of my guys got invited to go to the big Denny Stone thing this year. Nice. And uh, to lift them. There's like 183 people or some shit. Yeah, I think it's have, less than that. But yeah, yeah. It's not many have ever done it. No. You know? And, uh, you know, it's it takes years to to reach greatness. I mean, in anything. So, Here's, and that's the problem. It takes, it takes years to reach goodness. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And then goodness. another, yeah. another, another heavy chunk of years to reach great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's like everybody sees Michael Jordan and wants to be Michael Jordan. What they don't see is how he got there. Yeah. You know, they don't see the endless work behind the scenes. You know, there's a reason why. I don't know if you looked at it, like what percentage of people that played a competitive sport in like junior high make it to the professional level. Point zero one. I mean, there's a reason for Very it. Low. And the biggest reason is, I would argue the biggest reason is just time, commitment and time. Like, almost everybody has the basic attributes to do it. Aside from, well, maybe not NBA. You, like, not everybody's 6'4". You know? <laughs> or whatever the baseline is. But at some level in most sports, you know, you could do it because there's always outliners like Spud Webb and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to put in the time and work, you can. And it also takes some, your thing. some creativity too, right? Yeah. Like, so with, with people who are outliers on like, let's say the NBA and being short, you know, it's like they have to be creative. Like yes. they have to open their mind to, okay, you know, there's a task that needs to be done. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this type of tag. Like, it doesn't have to be done this way. Mm-hmm. But I have, I have the ability to figure out how to do it myself. Yes. Like, that's a quite a big thing. Yeah, which then again takes time because you have nobody before you to learn from. You have to yeah. learn a way to do that that 
that's different from everybody else that has the prototypical body type. You know. So And if you watch the the Last Dance documentary, most people have probably seen it by now with Michael Jordan, which I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Because I grew up, you know, watching Michael Jordan. I was not a mm-hmm. huge basketball fan, but a big fan of his. Yeah. And one of the criticisms of all the time was like, wow, he can be kind of such a dick and and but then you watch that series and you know, for better or worse, that was just kind of the way he was wired. Like yes. he didn't care about anything else other than winning. Didn't care about the cost, didn't care about anything else that went into it. His whole goal was just to win games. Whether you can say mm-hmm. that's good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Yeah. It was really interesting to watch that. And then also knowing that obviously he had full you know, edit ability on it. So he wasn't mm-hmm. going to put anything on film that he didn't agree with. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that he did say, you're like, Oh wow. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I think every, and I've had conversations about this recently. I think every, every truly great person, like not just made it to the pros, but like was a pros pro you hear like, Oh, they're cocky. They're this and that. I would argue they have to be. Yes. To reach that level, because you have to have a level of internal confidence, like we talked about with approaching the bar. Like, Michael, I guarantee you, Michael Jordan never entered a game thinking, well, we're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. He came in like, we're, we're about to beat you. <laughs> you know, no matter who it was. And you have to have that, you have to have that attitude. Um, to, to reach that level, you have to truly believe you can do it. Before you can do it. That's like uh, the game me and Darrell went to. Like everybody, the Chiefs and Bills. Everybody, 13 seconds left, they're done. That whole fucking team was like, no, we're not done. And how easy would it be? How yeah. easy would it be to just, uh fuck, we lost it. They came yeah, out I there, see. and they had to believe first that they could go down in 13 seconds and tie this son of a bitch up. And then they did it, you know. And you have to be a little cocky. A lot cocky, really. To even think you can do that. And yeah, not only lose, but they would have been able to lose and kind of get off the emotional hook. Like, what a great game that was. Yes. You know what like, I mean? Like, it would have went down as a great game, whether they won no or No matter what, it. yes. Yeah. And then, you know, it went from a great game to potentially the greatest game ever played. <laughs> that was a back-and-forth shootout of just, holy crap. And But to do that, you have to be cocky. You know, you have to 100% believe in yourself, and that's not being a dick. That's just self-confidence that you have to have to be truly great. I would say you just have to be self-confident at a at a very high degree. So, yeah, I think it's another thing to to back it up, right? So I remember growing up doing snowboarding, and you know, at one point Sean Palmer was like one of the top you know snowboarders in the world, mm-hmm. and he was very brash, you know, very kind of cocky. And people used to give him so much crap for it. And then one guy's like, oh, but he actually has won almost every single event. So <laughs> yeah. he's not really cocky because yeah. he he's actually doing it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, that's and the same thing could be said about Jordan. Yeah, he yeah, talked shit exactly. and did this. But then he literally stuffed the ball in your face. Right. You know? <laughs> he told you he was going to do it, and then he did it. You yeah. know? I and, think the, yeah. the biggest I mean, the the documentary for Michael Jordan was big, but I think probably the biggest thing is how other players he played against him, like the stories they have against, like yes. 
the stories they have where they, you know, almost, it sounds like insane. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not like something made up. Like Kevin, Kevin Durant always tells a story about his, you know, his rookie season and they're like playing, like him and Isaiah Ryder are playing pretty good against the Bulls on the T-Wolves. And then so Kevin Garnett just starts talking trash and all this. And then they like buried him in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just like, oh, okay. They're like, okay, we don't talk to Mike. They're like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just be nice to him. You say, you say, yeah. hey, man, good job. That was a good shot. Like, you're trying to keep him docile. Like, that's your whole different yeah. strategy. Well, and yeah. To keep him uninterested in the game. That's yeah, it. And that's that, your. Yep. And that bleeds right back to this special forces thing. Like, and the stressor. Most truly elite athletes are at their best when you back them into a corner. Yes. You know, those are the ones that are truly great. Like, and just like the game we just talked about, they back them into a 13 second corner. Like, all right, bitch, here it is. You know, <laughs> and that's what separates those people that are just outstanding. Um, cause everybody can win when it's easy. You know, when you're having an easy game and everything's going right, but when shit is against you and you're backed up against the wall, that's when the greats turn out. You know, it's those comeback games. It's the victories like that. So, and you or that something's against you in lifting. Like, you missed one and two. Yeah. I would say 90% of the time in, like, let's say weightlifting, somebody misses the first and second snatch, 90% of the time they're missing the third. If you're a, if you have the mental fortitude and the cojones that, come out and still have confidence and nail that third. You just did something, you know? <laughs> so. Or how fast you can recover from big mistake. Yeah. So I think of like, you know, guarding the top receiver in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Oh, he gets a touchdown pass. And if you were the defensive person guarding him, I asked a good buddy of mine who trains a lot of the Vikings and other NFL guys. He's like, yeah, they all have short attention spans and have very to. short memories. He's like, they have to. Yes. If you dwell on that one mistake, like you're done. Like, yep. And you, like in the NFL, right? You see that I think in kickers, right? So mm-hmm. the Vikings had a kicker, was it last, not last year, but the year before, and a huge performance, like really good for many years, and he just got stuck in a rut where he was missing, you know, extra points and everything. Yeah. And you're just thinking that it, it's all mental at that point, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't suddenly physically get worse. But I think it, if you can't let those things go, you're rehearsing the negative thing and you're getting better at getting worse. Yes. Right. So it, I think it's a separate skill to care a lot about what you're trying to do. But if something goes awry, learn from it, keep the lesson and then forget everything else. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about, I think, is a lot of reason why people quit. Yeah, um, it's what we've talked about before. It's like once it gets hard, they quit. Like if you make it to the NFL and you're you were the best cornerback in college, like there's one coming up now. What Sauce Gardner has never had a touchdown on him. Mm. So the and he's about to get drafted. The interesting thing for me will be to see what happens when he does get a touchdown on him. Yes. How does he handle that? Because you're at yep. the NFL now. It's going to happen. happen. You know, you're not, like, and you have to be ready for that because you ain't going to like you're not going to go through an NFL career and never have a touchdown on you. Like it's going to happen in probably week one. So how are you going to handle that shit? Because now you're playing against the big boys and they're going to yeah. get theirs no matter how good you are. You know, they're going to get theirs. Um, yeah. So 
And that's how you handle that shit. And I'd almost say it could be potentially seen as a negative that the kid has never had a touchdown on him. Yeah. It's an because it is going to happen. And you don't know how he's going to handle that. Every you struggle. Know? Yeah. He might, might be a huge that. mental struggle bus. Cause like, oh fuck, I'm not that good. You know, he thought he was, he was the biggest fish in a small pond. Now you're about to be an average sized fish in the biggest fucking ocean there is. You know? So. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why some top draft picks just never pan out in the NFL too. Yeah, like, you know, Brian. it's like, I, I, yeah, it's like, I can't imagine that they physically got that much worse. And yes, the game's yeah. a lot faster and everything else. I yeah. get it. But I, I think it's just how do you deal with the, the mental mm-hmm. aspect of it being challenged in a new way? Yep. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we went long, but it was a good show. Yeah. Good so, stuff. That was a fun one. Different things to talk about that we don't talk about a lot. So. Yeah. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Sounds good. See you. Later.